Welcome to Denton North Church. We're glad you're here this morning. I'm glad to see all of your faces. Um, if you haven't been here before and I've not met you, my name is Leslie Rowe. I'm on staff at Denton North, um, and we're just glad that you guys are all here. I wanted to say uh, something first about meeting in person. So this has been a really difficult decision, and we talked to the GDAC on Friday, and then Brad and I talked again, and we've made the decision that because of the spike in cases, we're going to wait until July, to, I mean, until August uh, to revisit meeting in person. And so what's going to happen is towards the end of July, we'll reevaluate, we'll see what's going on, we'll talk to the GDAC again. And then we'll make a decision going forward about August. And I would just say, you guys, these decisions are so hard to make. You need to have a lot of grace and mercy for your bosses at work and at school and stuff. There's just, it's hard to figure out what the best thing to do is. Um, and Zoom church is really hard. Um, it's awkward. It's not ideal but it's what we've got. And it's a blessing that we have this, like that we can see each other's faces, that we can meet together and still do church. And that I wanna challenge you seriously to think about turning your camera on when we meet. It would be super weird if we met at the GDAC and everybody had a paper bag over their head where we couldn't see each other. So like we're coming together to be together, to worship God and to encourage each other. And we need to see each other's faces. It's going to help us feel more connected. Um, and I just think it's a simple thing that we can do to make this time a little more personal and um, a little better for all of us. If you have any ideas or suggestions on things that you would like to see us do on Sunday mornings, um, if there's something you're really missing that we do as a body when we meet together in person, if we can figure out a way to do it, um, we can do that on Zoom. So just let us know that. Um, and any suggestions at all you have that you think would make our body life better, we would love to hear those. So you could give those to me or to Brad, to any of our small group leaders, to any of our uh, church tulip team leaders, any of those people, and those, we'll get those ideas and talk through those. And I want to start us with a prayer this morning, and then we'll jump into the sermon. And just so you know, we're going to do the sermon, and then we're going to do uh, breakout groups for a few minutes, and then we're going to take communion together as a body. So let's pray. And God, I just want to thank you for the opportunity to meet together even virtually this morning. I thank you for the encouragement our body is to me personally. I thank you for the way that you put the church together, and I just pray that your spirit would move through us this morning to encourage us and to teach us, and that we um, will honor you in what we do together today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to continue on with our series on Isaiah, Tragedy, and Hope, and we're going to start in Isaiah 30 today. So is there anybody that would read Isaiah 30 verses 1 through 21 in the NIV? Can I get somebody to do that? Raise your hand, volunteer, unmute. I can do it. Okay, perfect. I'm sorry, what was the scripture? Isaiah 30, 1 through 21. Am I good to go, Leslie? 
You're good to go. Woe to the obstinate children, declares the Lord, to those who carry out plans that are not mine, forming an alliance but not by my spirit, heaping up sin upon sin, who go down to Egypt without consulting me, who look up for help to Pharaoh's protection, to Egypt's shade for refuge. But Pharaoh's protection will be to your shame. Egypt's shade will bring you disgrace. Though they have officials in Zoan and their envoys have arrived in Haines, everyone will be put to shame because of the people useless to them who bring neither help nor advantage, but only shame and disgrace. The prophecy concerning the animals of the Negev, through the land of hardship and distress, <clears throat> of lions and lionesses, of adders and darting snakes, the envoys carry their riches on donkeys' backs. The treasures on the humps of camels to, the, to that unprofitable nation, to Egypt whose help is utterly useless, therefore I call her Rahab the do-nothing. Go now, write it on a tablet for them, inscribe it on a scroll, that for the days to come it may be an everlasting witness. For these are rebellious people, deceitful children, children unwilling to listen to the Lord's instruction. They say to the seers, see no, man's, see no more visions, and to the prophets, give us no more visions of what is right. Tell us pleasant things, prophesy illusions. Leave this way, get off this path, and stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. Therefore, therefore, this is what the Holy One of Israel says. Because you have rejected this message, relied on oppression, and depended on deceit, this sin will become for you like a high wall, cracked and bulging, that collapses suddenly in an instant. It will break in pieces like pottery, shattered so mercilessly that among its pieces not a fragment will be found. For taking coals from a hearth of, for scooping water out of a cistern. This is what the Sovereign Lord of the Holy One of Israel says. And repentance and rest is your salvation, and quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. You said, no, we will flee on horses, therefore you will flee. You said, we will ride off on swift horses, therefore your pursuers will be swift. A thousand will flee at the threat of one, at the threat of five you will all flee away, till you are left like a flagstaff on a mountaintop, like a banner on a hill. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you, therefore he will rise up to show you compassion. The Lord is the God of justice. Blessed are all who await for him. People of Zion who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. How gracious he will be when you cry for help. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. Although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, your teachers will be hidden no more. With your own eyes, you will see them. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Thanks, Graham. So the last couple of weeks, um, Brad talked about the first principle that we wanted to draw out of Isaiah, and that is that when we don't listen to God, we listen to the wrong people. And in thinking about that, when we stop listening to God, we also stop seeking his help. And so the principle I want to talk to today, the second principle in this series, is that when we don't seek God's help, we seek the wrong people's help. So when we don't seek God's help, we seek the wrong people's help. And at the end of verse 1 in Isaiah chapter 30, this is described as heaping sin upon sin. So when we don't seek God's help, we reject the Lord, and that's sin. But when we seek help from someone or something else, we put them in God's place, and that's another sin. So that's what it means by heaping sin upon sin. 
So let's start today with an honest evaluation. How are you at seeking help from God? So I want you to think about this on a scale with zero being, I ask God for help first and 10 being, I ask God for help when nothing else works. So what would you give yourself from zero to 10? Zero being, I ask God for help first and 10 being, I ask God for help when nothing else works. And I just want you to remember that number. I just want you to do that as a way of evaluating where you are with this. So let's look at an example from a story from 2 Kings chapter 17. For more than 200 years, the northern tribes of Israel have been ruled by a succession of 19 wicked, idolatrous kings. Some of them only reigned for a short time, but violence and assassinations and cruelty characterized that entire period. And at the beginning of 2 Kings 17, we see Hoshea, who was the king of Israel, and he was the last king of Israel, and he reigned for nine years. And he's not a man of the Lord. He was considered evil in the eyes of God. And it says he did detestable things, but not like those who were before him. So he was evil, but not as evil. I'm not sure exactly what that distinction means. During this 200-year period, the Assyrian Empire has grown from an, an obscure nation into a large superpower of a nation. And their capital city is Nineveh. And at the time of the writing of 2 Kings 17, Shalmaneser is the Assyrian king. And he's ordered a siege on Samaria, which is the capital city of Israel. So Hoshea tries to buy time for Israel by paying tribute money to Assyria. So the way that this works is he pays them money. And then as long as he does what the king of Assyria wants him to do, he's allowed to stay on the throne as the king of Israel. So basically, he's a puppet king. Tribute allows him to be a puppet king. But Hoshea decides that he's going to quit paying this tribute to Assyria because he's found the next best, latest, greatest um, help, and that is Egypt. And so Assyria's king, Shalmaneser, finds out about Hoshea's betrayal, and he seizes Hoshea and he puts him in prison. So that opens the way for the, Assyri the Assyrian army to invade the entire land, and they laid siege to Samaria for three years. And at the end of those three years, Assyria conquers Samaria, which leads to the fall of the northern kingdom or the fall of Israel. And what Assyria does is they deport all but the very lowest classes back to the key cities of their empire. And they either train and utilize the talents of these people, or if they're able-bodied, strong people, they use them as slaves. And as they carry Israel away to Assyria, this is the picture of what that looks like. The typical custom for Assyria when they capture a nation is to lead them naked with a series of uh, strings and fish hooks that are pierced through their lips and they're led through the cities that have been destroyed by Assyria. 
And sometimes this is for hundreds of miles. So it's a very humiliating um, exile from their, their country. It's ironic that Israel, who's always been defined in terms of its distinctive character as a people, should fall to an empire whose policy it is to resettle and eliminate the distinctive ethnic and political identities of the people that they conquer. So they transplanted some of the captives from other foreign lands with the Israelites that they had left behind in Samaria. And through intermarriage, this is where actually the Samaritans come from that we see in the New Testament was through this. So that's kind of a summary of the story. And so the first point that I want to make about this principle of when we don't seek God's help, we seek the wrong people's help, is that people got tired of hearing and challenging help. So they wanted easy help, but that turned out to be useless. So the people got tired of hearing challenging help. So they wanted easy help, and that turned out to be useless. Back in Isaiah chapter 30, um, verses 9 through 11 say this. They say to the seers, see no more visions, and to the prophets, give us no more visions of what is right. Tell us pleasant things. Prophesy illusions. Leave this way. Get off this path and stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. See, the people wanted to hear from God's prophets and messengers, but they didn't want to hear the truth from them. They wanted religion, but they didn't want the living God of heaven to be real in their lives. Stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. I think as people, we just don't like to be challenged. We want to be comfortable. God said, repent, come back to me and obey. But that was too hard for the people. Assyria and Egypt offered easy help, just pay them tribute. But their help was useless. Assyria wound up attacking Israel and Egypt didn't come to save them. And this wasn't because God was unable to help them. This was because they rejected God and ignored his guidance and correction. They rejected God's challenging help to go after easy help. But the problem that God confronts there didn't end there. Paul describes the same kind of heart in the people in 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. We don't like to do things that are inconvenient or uncomfortable. And I think that we see this in the way that we seek help. And I think we see it too in the way that we want to give help to other people. So like, I think healthcare is a great example of this. Um, we have many people going to doctors, taking medicine, having surgeries, in order to help with various illnesses, um, heart issues, high blood pressure, diabetes, when a lot of these issues could be taken care of with eating properly, exercising, um, things that are hard to do. And a lot of people don't want to do the hard thing. They want to do the easier thing. And what happens is they don't get better 
it just masks their symptoms or controls their symptoms. Whereas the hard thing to do actually makes their symptoms better. Um, another example of this is um, homeless people and how we want to um, help when we see homeless people. And so in Denton, um, we see homeless people quite often in the library, at the gas station, standing on the street corners. And we ask, you know, how can we help? And the easier thing to do is to hand someone asking on the street some money. The harder thing to do is to pull over, find a place to park, get out, go introduce yourself to that person, find out their name, hear their story, and offer help that might actually change the situation they find themselves in, actually offer help that is help. It's inconvenient. It's uncomfortable. And so I think that um, one of the questions we have to ask ourselves is, am I seeking challenging help from God and people that will actually help? Or am I seeking useless help that will keep me the same and keep me comfortable? God's help is challenging, at the, but it's truly help. So let's commit to doing what's right and not just what's easy. Let's commit to accepting challenging help, not just the easy help. The second point I wanna make about this is that when people keep their options open to hearing from anyone besides God, the next step is seeking help from anyone but God. So when we keep our options open to hearing from anyone besides God, the next step is seeking help from anyone but God. And if you look at Isaiah 31, just the first verse there, it says, woe to those who go down to Egypt for help, who rely on horses, who trust in the multitude of their chariots and in the great strength of their horsemen, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel or seek help from the Lord. See, the people were impressed with Egypt's might. They were tired of trusting a God they couldn't see. They were tired of being challenged to do the right thing by the prophets. They were tired of being different from the countries around them. They wanted help that they could understand, help that they could relate to. And they could understand horses and chariots and power and strength. But look at who they went to for help, Egypt. Think about that for a minute. They went to Egypt, the country that many years earlier had enslaved them, not to God who had delivered them from that. In Isaiah 30, verse 5, it says, Everyone will be put to shame because of a people useless to them who bring neither help or advantage. The ambassadors of Egypt looked at the people and saw they had nothing to give them. The people had nothing to offer, and so they didn't help them. It was foolish for the leaders to trust in a nation that looked at them that way. God didn't look at the people that way. They rejected God's help, which led them to making a poor decision, and that led to them being taken away into captivity. When they kept their options open to hearing from anyone besides God, they sought help from anyone but God. 
Second Kings goes on to say that they followed worthless idols and themselves became worthless. When I was looking at a commentary on this, it said that the word worthless is better translated as the word empty. And so that would say they worshiped emptiness and became empty. That's a pretty scary thought. I don't want to be empty. I don't want to live an empty life. It says that they worshiped the Lord, but they also served their own gods. It says that several times. They worshiped the Lord, but they also. And it says that even while these people were worshiping the Lord, they were serving their idols. How incredibly tragic is that? No wonder God continually charged the people with honoring him with their lips, but their hearts being far from him. So who and what do I tend to look to for help in place of God? What is my Egypt? So if I had to fill in the blank, Leslie worshiped the Lord, but she also served. What would I put there? What else do I serve? Is it wearing a mask, social distancing, using hand sanitizer, getting everyone else to do those things? Is it a stimulus check, unemployment, my political party making sure everyone's taken care of? Is it my family? Is it the advice they give, the help they're going to bring? What is it that we put that we serve along with worshiping God? Now, I want you to hear me. None of those things are bad things. They're not necessarily evil and horrible on their own. And God may use those things and often does use those things as tools, but they're not good places to put our hope. They let us down time and time again, but make no mistake, our hope is not in those things. Our hope is in God, and he is our help. So what should Israel have done? What should we do when we feel boxed in by obstacles and frustrations and threats and fears? Well, verse 18 in chapter 30 says, For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. Blessed are all those who wait for him. What I want you to see about this is that biblical waiting is not the same thing we think of when we think of waiting. Most of the time we think of waiting like waiting in line where we're just passing time. It's totally useless, such a waste. But biblical waiting is not that. And when I was trying to think of a good example for this, Willie is who came to mind, Willie Hudspeth. So Willie, because I know him, I know his relationship with God, I know that he waited on God, but that didn't mean he did nothing. Every year, for tw every weekend for 20 years, he would go down to the square and he would call attention to the Confederate monument there and to how that offended him and other people of color. He could have gotten easy help. He could have gotten a group of people together. They could have gone down there and they could have pulled that thing down. But he worked and he waited for God to work. He didn't go to just anyone for help. He went to the God that he had put his hope in for help. 
And that's what we have to do. We have to go to the God that we have our hope in. God, not kings, not politicians, not evil, is who has the last word. And that is still true today. That has not changed. The third point is we've said that throughout this um, sermon series, we want to ask the question, how can we have hope in God in the midst of tragedy and oppression? And so my third point is that as a community, we can encourage one another and we can seek his help together. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25 says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. I want to play a song for you that has encouraged me this week. It is long. It's almost 11 minutes long. But every time I tried to cut it down, God stopped me. The spirit checked me and said, no, I want you to play the whole thing. Whole thing. We haven't done a lot of praise and worship on Zoom church. And so I'm hoping that this will really speak to you and really bless you this morning. So I'm just going to share my screen with you. And I'm going to pray that this is going to work because we were having trouble with it earlier. So this week I shared with uh, Hannah Ortega Johnson that I was having some feelings of anxiety and some intense sadness. And she sent me that song. And I am not, I'll confess, I'm not a fan of songs that are real repetitive. And so I started, when I saw that it was almost 11 minutes long, I was like, this has got to repeat somewhere in there. Um, and so I listened to it. And what happened was through Hannah sending me that song, it was like Hannah was saying to me, God's faithfulness is great. It never runs out. You can put your faith in Jesus. He's your hope, your firm foundation. He's not going to let you down. That I can still bless him, that I've got a reason to bless him. She spoke those words to me through that song. And that's what we do for each other as a body. As I sang along with that, when I first started, I wasn't singing very loudly. But by the time I got to the end, I was way more firm in what I was saying and way louder in what I was singing. And whenever I told you that I tried to cut this down. Whenever I tried to cut this down, I would think, oh, but if I stop it here, they're not gonna hear, I still bless you. I've got a reason to bless you. Like they've got to see the whole thing to get the whole message. Um, but in the midst of tragedy and oppression, as a community, we can encourage each other. It's what worship is all about. It's why we're in community and why we meet together. We can encourage each other and we can seek God's help together. And so what I want to do now is I'm going to divide you into um, breakout rooms and they'll be random. And what I want you to talk about in that breakout room is I want you to encourage each other by answering the question, even in the midst of tragedies or hard times, 
what is your reason to bless God? Even in the midst of tragedy and hard times, what is your reason to bless God? And just encourage each other with your answer to that. And then have one or two people in the group pray and praise God for those reasons and commit to listening to him and seeking help from him. Okay, so hang on just a second and then we'll come back together in the big group and we'll take communion together and we'll be done. Okay, well, welcome back everybody. I hope that you were encouraged in your group time together. And if you have the stuff to take communion, we're going to take communion together. Um, and we're just going to celebrate God's faithfulness together and um, his faithfulness to us as a community, his faithfulness to us individually. Um, and then I just want to remind you guys, uh, I don't think we've said this in a while, but if you need any help, um, if you need help financially, if you need help just talking through and thinking through something, if you need someone to pray for you, um, please reach out and let us know. That is probably one of the things that keeps me awake at night most often is just worrying that we're going to let people fall through the cracks and miss somebody who needs help um, because it's just hard with things like they are right now. But know that we love you and that we want to help. And so please let us help if you're needing something and um, don't just suffer silently. So I'm going to pray for us and then we'll take communion and you guys can visit or get on with your day, whatever you need to do. And God, I just thank you so much for being a God who never leaves, for being a God who works for our good, for being the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, a God of justice for being gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in love, for being mighty in power and rich in love. We have so many different reasons to bless you, Lord. Uh, we thank you for being a God that we can look to for challenging help that won't leave us the same, but that will change us and transform us. We thank you for our community and I just pray, God, that we would be hope to the people around us, that we would offer a reason for the hope that we have, that we'll be bold in saying that it comes from you, and uh, that we would love people the way that you love us, God. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.